1: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight That's PlushCare.com dot slash weight Plushcare.com slash weight Recording from my office in beautiful Marietta, Georgia, you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast, episode 21. Today we have Paula Kluuth, nationally recognized author and speaker on the topic of inclusive education and autism. We talked about her latest book, Universal Design Daily and how educators can learn to plan for all students by changing their mindset. After the podcast, please visit patreon.com backslash thinkinclusivepodcast where you can support our goal to bring you in-depth interviews with inclusive education and community advocacy thought leaders. Also, you can help other people find us by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the Think Inclusive Podcast. So without further ado, here is the interview. It's been uh, it's been a few years since we've talked on the phone. This is uh, really exciting. Thank you for doing this. Um, so what I'm going to do? Well, thank
0: you for having me. I can't be- actually can't believe that it's been a couple of years because I'm always reading everything that you are posting and writing. So um, it feels like it was just yesterday. But I'm so glad to be uh, back with you, Tim. That's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so let's see what. Uh, I wanted to talk about a few things um, uh, one about the Universal Design daily, uh, but I also I have a few more questions. I know we didn't talk about it beforehand, but I was actually looking okay. at I was looking at the questions I asked you. I think I believe it was like I want to say three almost three or four years ago. Gosh, I can't believe it's been that long. Um, But because we talked about um, your book, Don't We Already Do Inclusion? Um, Mm. And we talked about uh, reverse inclusion. And we talked about um, uh, families taking their students from public schools and putting them in private schools. Um, Mm. But um, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask was what is kind of new in your world? Cause I know that you have uh, universal um, uh, design daily, the book, but what else right. is kind of new for you um, that, that you'd like to talk about?
0: Well, this has, I mean, really, it, well, last time we spoke, I was kind of returning, returning to my roots. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're right. When um, don't Worry to Do Inclusion had just come out, so I was kind of going back and talking more broadly about inclusive education, and, you know, it was I was kind of at a point in my career where when I was talking to folks, I was making some assumptions that, you know, we were on the same page, and, you know, we have this commitment to inclusive education, but started to realize that, you know, there's a big difference about um First of all, how people interpreted it, the language of inclusive education, you know, some semantic differences and, mm-hmm. and the different commitment philosophically from place to place. And I thought, you know, it's time to go back and just revisit, um, you know, the energy that that I felt that, you know, that existed back, um, you know, in the 80s when, when it was newer to folks, uh, when the when when we saw more um you know, I should, well, you know, more, more folks understanding inclusion for the first time when people were a little bit, you know, bright eyed about it. And so I wanted to go back and just say, you know, we're kind of, what was like, a, you know, Nike, there is no finish line. I mean, you know, that we're, we're never done. That was sort of the point of that book, that there's always something in our model that we can revive, not just because, um, you know, not just because it's been a while since the initial research around it, but, I felt like technology changes, our social models change, you know, our attitudes evolve. Um, Because of things like UDL and co-teaching evolving, we have new practices. So I just thought it was time for a little oxygen. So that I spent a couple of years doing a lot of work in that area. But, of course, what goes around comes around. So in trying to sort of breathe some life into those conversations, of course, you know, UDL was really gaining a lot of momentum and in a lot of schools I personally was working in co-teaching was really blossoming so in other words the folks that were um, making big strides in inclusive education you know I was at that point in the conversation once again which is okay tell us how to do this in the most practical ways and and you know once um, after spending a couple of years in that World of sort of philosophy mm-hmm. um, and the the beliefs around inclusion. It was kind of time to to you know move on to some of these other projects where I got to talk to folks and spend a little bit of time looking at the latest um, research and latest practices in curriculum and in instruction and in support. And so it's kind of just been a nice, um, you know, a nice path. in the last couple of years. Um, and still going back and forth in those areas. but um but you know, I, I find that a lot of the the places that I've been working with, especially those in long term, um, you know, I did find that the shot in the arm around inclusion was was really helpful, but um but they they definitely want to then take the next steps and they want to evolve and how they think about designing instruction. They want to think about human resources. And I was interested in going back to the books on those things too, because, you know, a lot has changed. i um, talking about UDL. So much has changed in the field. Just in my, well, I say short time but mm-hmm. since the the '80s when I started studying. I mean, think of how many models that we've seen. How different kinds of language that's been used. Personalized instruction, different uh, curricular adaptations, differentiated instruction, universal design. So there's plenty to, um, you know, there's there's plenty to uh, you know, even for folks that have been doing this work for a while, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty to take a look at in a new way.
1: So I think that, you know, in, in talking about, in talking about the book and the reason why you, you wrote the book, um, help me made, so like, if you talk to me as if I was a, a teacher that hadn't, didn't, yep. that, that my administrators and, you know, my instructional support specialists are saying, hey, we really want you to utilize universals as for learning in your lesson plans and, you know, in, in your co-teaching model. And we, re- you know, we'd, we'd love for it to, uh, w- when we go through and, and see your teaching, this is what we want to see, um, explain to me, you know, well, what is it? What exactly is UDL and, and what am I supposed to do with these, the, this framework?
0: Uh, well it's a great question because i too find um that there's a, there it can be very confusing especially if you come from you know you knew, you knew about differentiation and um you had um you just had to remember a couple of different categories and there weren't these um you know many uh different ways of of understanding principles and checkpoints and things like that um With UDL, uh, however, um, I I think the reason why a lot of schools are attracted to it and and why I'm attracted to it in many ways is because you're dealing with um, the same idea, truly. I think what's confusing to teachers is they think, well, I was already doing a lot of these things. Why are you now taking this and giving it a different house and giving it a different name and, uh, you know, providing a, a new lens. And a the, the, the couple of reasons for that. Um, the first is that, um, well, and I'll say, I, I kind of, you know, was was reluctant too, um, to sort of remodel and reshape the way I was talking and thinking. But I think the three things um, that might be attracting a lot of administrators are, number one, um, as, as opposed to some of the other models, there is this nice evolution and focus um, around thinking about technology not as a set of materials but as a way of thinking. so it's not to say that those examples and that focus wasn't in previous models. If you pick up any you know anything on differentiation, you're going to find these kinds of examples. But I think that the origin of UDL and the the initial thrust came a lot out of looking at what technology could do for people in leveling the playing field and providing opportunities and just having access be the norm, that um, a lot of it grew out of that. So that's number one is that there's more of a focus there. The second thing that I think made people excited about UDL was that, well, I'll speak for myself, is the word universal itself. I'm not sure this is already always happening in practice, Mm. but the idea that we could hold this higher standard and say, this is really about all kids. And one of the things I say when I'm presenting is if you are using UDL and you don't notice that there is a wider range of learners in your school or classroom or district, you know, because of this, then we're really, um, it really flies in the face, I think, of the intention of a model like this. It's about universal, that means everybody. So we should, it, the focus, I think the intention here on all students, I think is really important. And the third piece, I think that's um, interesting and maybe why it's getting a lot of attention from folks, maybe, um, you know, versus some some previous models is that it, it takes into account a lot about the learner and he, the learner as an agent again it's not to say that other methods that we have you know celebrated in a differentiation model or in a curricular adaptations model didn't didn't you know have that that language or didn't have those examples but there's a lot of um, uh, you know centering On student engagement and students setting their own goals and the growth mindset. And we're really thinking about these partnerships in new ways. So again, those, those elements might have been in other models, but they're really central in universal design. So that's the first part. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, why people are excited. The second part, which is what, you know, what is universal design? Well, it's just like some of those other models that I mentioned. It's a, it's you know, it's a way of designing curriculum, instruction, assessment, um, in a way that is going to be supportive of all learners. Um, that's going to accommodate variability and uniqueness and differences from the ground up. So the criticism, I think, if there's, if you can use that word, of differentiation, was it was additive or it was retrofit. So that it kind of did the lesson, and then you say, "Oh, Tim needs something different, and Paula really needs some support there." So the idea here, um, and and again, I think many, many things teachers did in the name of differentiation, and and, and many authors, and myself in that, that wrote about differentiation, had those you know ways of being in mind. Mm -hmm. But universal design, with its very you know initial language, um, focused on this idea that design. This was from the ground up, And, and you know a lot of folks may know this already, but. The language of universal design comes out of architecture, and it's that idea that, you know, you wouldn't, um, you know, have to um, go and, and retrofit some part of the building, but you would build those ramps and, and in a way that's right into the design. It's, you know, it's a, a beautiful part of the design, and everybody can use it, and there are options for all, um, but it's not something that we have to um, add in or change up because of one or two individuals um, or percent. Um mm-hmm. So it focuses uh universal design focuses on these three areas. And you'll see you'll, you'll see overlap, right, from other models. So different folks will call um these categories something different. But um this one focuses on and something called engagement, which is um about That it sounds like it's something that we do to kids but a lot of the strategies that have been targeted engagement are also things that kids would do again that sense of agency or pursuing their own interests it's about uh, making sure that there's relevance cultural relevance personal relevance Um, what about motivation are they challenged that's that's engagement and you're going to provide multiple methods maybe not in every lesson but throughout the days, the weeks, the months, and the year. And then you're gonna look for multiple methods of action and expression. And that's really about how we are going to teach and support all kinds of ways of showing what you know, so that students can demonstrate learning in lots of different ways. Um, they can demonstrate their understanding. We've seen that language before, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, you know other ways of under, of thinking about that. Um, of labeling it, I should say. And then finally, there's these multiple methods of representation. So that's giving students um, lots of ways of acquiring information and knowledge so that we're going to make sure that if we're providing, we're we're teaching a lesson that there's lots of ways for kids to get that. There may be physical models. They may be doing a field trip, a virtual field trip. They could read about. So that's kind of saying like, you know, everything from, Having lots of different kinds of materials to making sure that through the use of technology, for example, kids can um, you know use e readers uh, to enlarge text so that the ways in which they're getting the content or information um, is in, you know is uh, appropriate for them so when you hear those three categories, you know a lot of teachers feel overwhelmed it seems like a lot. But in some ways, that's only three compared to other model, models and differentiation <laughs> um, throughout the years that I've had eight or nine different variables to keep in mind. So, um, you know, it's just, I, I think it's just, an, you know, any of these models and the evolution of these models is an attempt to, I think, inspire us to think about the possibilities for students, and, but also a way, so in other words, here's all the things that we might do. To make a home for kids. But I think it, it's also I think the other reason our model evolved is to uh everyone's attempt to say, what how can I phrase this in a way that is elegant in its simplicity? And I think it's everyone's attempt to say, how do we take what we know today and make that you know a, a, you know think about universal design. How do we do this in a way that's accessible for folks? so I think by breaking it down to these three categories, granted, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, in you know, what, what the folks at, at CAST, um, the materials they put out for us, I mean, there's a lot sort of under each one of those to consider. But I think those three categories are an attempt to say, hey, these are the three things we want you to keep mindful around. And so if throughout, with your co-teaching partners, with your students, with, you know, in your lesson planning, when I'm coming in to observe you as your administrator, as RAS. Um, What kind of language do I have to have and concepts? Should I have some command um, of, you know, take, you know, what I would say is, you know, start with trying to get a grasp on the differences in those three principles. And then secondly, start to understand that you're already doing this and just start to shake out. Okay. Of the things I'm doing, where do they fit in this model? And in that model, which of those areas may may i need more study around um which of those areas you know contain uh you know strategies that i don't know much about um how can i keep adding to my um my knowledge base around these so it does provide space for us to brainstorm and um collaborate provides kind of a, a, a you know a, a common language for us as collaborative partners. Um, But I do think it can be a a lot. Um, But I always say, you know, just start small, start with the, the, you know, those, um, the principles themselves and then fill in and understand what you're already doing and how it fits in. And I think that can help folks take next steps and start to understand this is not reinventing the wheel. You know how to do this. It might be a different way of talking, and it might be, um, help to provide us a, a framework to learn some new things.
1: So, I, so I have a, a couple different questions from, from what you said. The, the first would be, um, what would be the main pushback that you get if, if you do uh, from teachers, uh, when you are explaining UDL and these principles? And kind of, is it, is it more, um, I'm already doing this. Why do I need to do this? Or is it, is it more, um, I don't know how specifically to do this. Can you tell me how specifically to do it? Or is it something else that you get, um, as a, as a, as pushback? Um, I I
0: think all of that. Okay. (laughs) And I, you know, it's like, there's some sense of overwhelm, there's some confusion about the model. Um, I think the first thing is so much that there's so much material out there. And again, so many different ways that I've heard many different explanations of what it is and how to start. Um, so I always say just, I always start by saying, let's just catalog. Let's just get get you that firm grasp on these three principles. Do you, do you have a sense of that? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to use that as a way to understand your unit and then your lessons. So in these lessons, you know, are there multiple ways for students to get that content? Do students have multiple ways, not just within lessons, but let's also look broadly across the days, the weeks, and months, and the year um, to see how many, you know, let's just collect some strategies. Let's start to plug in what you have. And then, I, you know, after that, when, when I get the sense of, like, I don't know where to start, I don't know what else to do, especially for those that think they're not doing it, I say just pick one, you know, pick, start with something. You might just start by saying, you know, I'm going to add in some more open-ended questions. Um, as a way to frame units or start by maybe taking one unit and providing a wider range of learning materials or maybe you're going to introduce a few new tech tools maybe you haven't had kids blogging before you haven't introduced uh, speech recognition software something like that Um, maybe you're going to co-teach with somebody new that's uh, a really powerful strategy maybe you're going to start by varying your student groupings uh, giving some choices you know, some new assessment tools. So put, when we put it that way, those are all, that's all things, you know, teachers say, Oh yeah, well, I guess I could do that. Oh yeah. I could, you know, maybe try a new assessment tool. Right. So just trying to break it down to, this is the kind of stuff you've always done. Let's just look at, um, as I said, with those three uh, different principles, sometimes it helps to just kind of look again, recategorize a little bit of what they're already doing. And then, um, you know, just pick some place to get going. Um, one of the things that, you know, I suggest often in that in that place of overwhelm is to give, you know, start with a single lesson and give it a makeover. It's kind of a hack, right? Yeah. So, you know, you ask, you take one lesson, maybe with a partner, and just say, okay, is this rigorous enough? And this is actually one of the ideas from the book, and I use this a lot with teachers, is we just start with, okay, let's look at this and you know, let's look at things like, is it rigorous enough? Is it accessible? Is it interesting? Is it, you know, the activities varied. Are there several ways for students to learn? Uh, how many ways are there for students to show what they know? You just start with just one lesson and having them identify, oh, yeah, right, this one actually looks pretty good. And that's actually another idea is, you know, don't, don't fix it if it ain't broke. I mean, sometimes, right. you know, you have a really elegantly... Simple lesson, it's already there. And I think that can be helpful for teachers too, is just to look at this and say, oh, yeah, that's actually, you know, well done. And that's why I say it's it's about not just looking at lessons and units, but it's also about looking at the course of the year. So a lot of teachers will say, oh, I love when I do that simulation lesson, or that's my, and I ask, what's your favorite lesson? What are kids like? And then I say, maybe for you, it's just about increasing, um, you know, the, the um, frequency of some of the things that you know really work well and you know, that kids really respond to. So it may not be about reinventing the wheel. It's about maybe thinking about the menu or, or even the rhythm of the lessons um, from week to week and increasing the good stuff there. Um, and, and also just uh, looking for for feedback from folks. So it might be assessing, asking students to give you some feedback. Um, if you have a teaching partner, doing some observing back and forth about what's, you know, what's working. And then just kind of build a little bit slowly. Um, but, you know, when I was writing the book, I, I, I found myself, I was overwhelmed with all the sort of narrative accounts of UDL so that's why it's like, you know, 365 ideas, and you can just open it and pick something and say, okay, this is an engagement idea. I think I'll pick this. And be- because if I felt that much overwhelm um, with getting started, I thought other people will too. So that's one of the things I tell folks is like, I'll open a page and pick something and just try it. You don't have to keep using it, but just try it. And you can use any number of resources for that. You can open a blog. You can go on Twitter try something in, in an area that you feel is, um, you know, maybe an area that you, is it a growth area for you?
1: Right. Yeah. You don't
0: have to go back.
1: Um, you sort of answered my second question in in that was, uh, what are some specific strategies maybe from even the book, um, that, that can kind of refocus you. And I think you, you made a really good point. Um, if I, if I heard you correctly, that sometimes, um, you know, we know what works. We know what keeps the students engaged, but we almost don't want to use it all the time because we feel like, right. um, oh, well, they're going to get used to this, or they're going to get satiated right. on it, or, or whatever. But I, right. I think that, um, I think that another way to think about it is, yes, you actually do know what your kids like and what your students like, um, and right. and you can vary uh, the way that you, uh, you know, represent the material, like you said, using that, 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 uh, UDL principle. Um, and it's okay to have fun. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay.
0: It's, it's necessary because we know that, you know, laughter releases endorphins. We know that movement interaction, that that's part of that engagement is it's okay. And it's actually really good for you. And it's really good for them. Um, you know, that kids aren't, it's not good, it's not healthy, it's not even physically healthy for kids to be sitting and getting um, for long periods of time. Um, And so we know that, you know, that's why a lot of these engagement strategies have to do with kids as agent, kids making things, kids asking questions, kids in charge, Um, you know, uh, know, uh, student-centered fill-in-the-blank, right? So project-based instruction, um, service learning all that good stuff. And things like you said, like bringing in humor and, and, and figuring out what kids find, what's novelty and joy. All those things are an important part, especially of that engagement piece. Um, and it's important. And the, like I said, it's a teacher. Sometimes, you know, it is. I think it's like, oh, well, it can't be, you know, can't be a circus every day. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, every day, you know, that you've got three um twirling in the air. But over the course of the days, the weeks, the months, and the year, students should be able to count on you for uh, learning experiences that do uh, rise, that rise up to meet them, so to speak, and that they should, that that classroom should be a place of you know exploration, and there should be smiles, and there should be laughter, and there should be human connection. All of those things are good, not just for a healthy community, but those things are good for learning. Um, and the other thing I think that's important about, um, you know, and again, I think that focus on engagement here versus like process or uh, content, which are more, again, I, I love those other, you know, I'm not saying this is necessarily, um, you know, for some teachers that the, the language that's the most inspiring and helpful, but I, I like that language of engagement because I think it helps us to think about those things in ways maybe other models didn't as well. Mm-hmm. Um but the other thing I would say about, yeah, repeating things is that, um, yeah, you want, you know, two things. I always say you want repetition because when you have some repetition, whether it's every Friday, we have this kind of collaborative exercise. We always kick off Monday with morning meetings or on Wednesdays. I always infuse a lot of stu- uh, group work or whatever those, pat- those patterns are helpful for kids, right? Because they know there's some expectation there that helps with routine and ritual, helps a lot of our kids we know, and also I think helps us um, too with things like planning and collaboration. So if you're the speech path and you know that we do a lot of collaborative work on Wednesdays, um, that's like, you know what, I don't have a lot of time scheduled. I don't have normally scheduled time in your classroom on Wednesdays, but if anything opens up, I know to go to your classroom because kids are working and I can easily work with students on lots of different goals because I know that they're, it's not teacher-directed. So I love that. And the other thing that I like about patterns is that um, I think it's, it's great for co-teaching partners. It becomes a shorthand, right? So like, this is how we always, we always do um, social studies centers to kick off social studies stations to kick off every new unit. So when we start to plan together, that's already in the books. We already kind of know what we usually do with those stations. We usually know which teacher is going to facilitate. So it starts to build in some really nice shorthand there. Um, But having said that, When you have, you know, whether it's this book or blogs or Twitter or whatever you're using for your ideas, when you then have some of these other resources, now you've got your patterns down. Then you can jazz up and feel like, okay, I'm already using a lot of different things. I know what kids like. Now I realize, okay, we've been doing that same collaborative structure every Friday. Now that I feel like there's a nice variation across the days, let's now look and try a different collaborative structure on Fridays. Mm -hmm. or if we're still going to kick off with our stations and you usually facilitate, let's, why don't I do that now? Or why don't we take out the station where kids were doing writing um, in this way and have them do something collaborative. So, you know, once you kind of stabilize there and then you can start with that, um, you know, trying something different, um, switching some things out and building your repertoire because I don't expect that every lesson you've got a hundred ways, you know, for students to, um, you know, engagement strategies or methods of action or methods of representation. But across the days, the weeks, the months, and the year, within even those patterns, you want to make sure that there are lots of ways for kids to show what they know, lots of ways for kids to understand um, the content, lots of ways for them to engage um, and be motivated. Um, So that, I think, is kind of a a balancing act, right, so that there's some – um, what's the word I want? Um, there's there's an element of uh, um, ritual and, uh, and predictability is what I want. But then there's also that I can count on you for some of this novelty too because we know that that's really helpful. Um, it's a really helpful uh, for students um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice, uh, it's a learning state. A novelty is that, um, you know, supports students um, attention and, um, is very motivating. So, it's you know, kind of just that back and forth of making sure that we have a little bit, a little bit of both.
1: Right. Yeah. We want predictability and pattern. Um, but that also can become pretty stale. And then also, right. also the, this, this idea of compliance. Um, so, um, I, I i went to um, an autism conference here in uh, here in Georgia just recently, and I was so struck by what um one of the speakers said and her name is um uh, emily Ribbon. i don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with her uh, but yeah, she, i do know her. she said something um in the, uh, paraphrasing that um uh, a, f- a, f- a well behaved child um does not equal a Fully engaged child, and I loved that because um, for many of our teachers um, compliance or a well behaved class is very important um, and it mm-hmm. it is so important that uh that is you know they have their classroom management system and they have their rewards and they have their you know their their token system their token economy and they have the marbles in the jar and all that stuff. And that's all great. And I'm not saying that that is necessarily bad. Um, but the, the focus is on, let's get a routine. Let's get everything structured so that my classroom is a well-oiled machine as opposed to, are my kids having fun? Are they engaged? Are they learning? Um, as the most important piece of that, um, and I think that that is so important when you're talking about universal universal design for learning is that really is the biggest piece of it. Um, and if your kids aren't, if you, if, if your students don't like you, and I'm not saying that you should be friends with your That's students, fair. but if they don't like you right. and they don't love learning and love their friends and love coming to school, then they, they have no motivation or self. There's no intrinsic value to learning. So, uh, having all of that together, it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter what setting it is. It could be co-teaching. It could be even a, in a special day class or a self-contained classroom. It could be in a small group room. Anytime you have a, a teacher that is invested in the student in that relationship, I think, you know, that is where magic really happens, uh, and, and learning really happens. So, um, I I really I appreciate this conversation uh, because and I and I definitely see the um, I definitely see why administrators and um, district leaders want to have this conversation with their teachers because I think they really do see it as a as the big key. Uh, to unlocking all the other things, you know, the the, the test scores and all that stuff, because right. they do see that that is important and that it is because that's just the system that we have set up. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, mm. and-
0: I mean, look at the research coming out about, you know, places that are increasing recess and because they're just increasing recess is the only intervention test scores are going up. That just shows you the difference between... I mean, that's just one small area. But when you look at this misconception that if we get kids in their desks sitting quietly and we teach and talk at them, that that's going to have these results, um, these positive results, when in fact, what we know is that students need to move, talk, share, interact and get intellectually messy, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that they need to be agents. I mean, one of the things I look at when I'm... I've been doing some like walk arounds in schools as part of this, you know, this book. So sometimes I'll, you know, do a little presentation and then I'll go and see lessons. And one of the things I do is I just in my own head, I'll just walk along a corridor. doesn't matter, elementary, high school, and I'll say, I wonder, okay, let's just say it's a half an hour into the school day. I wonder in how many classrooms I'll see students doing anything other than sitting in their desks working quietly. And it's shocking to me. Um, so in every classroom, there'll be some time for that. But it's shocking to me that how many times it's um, 100% of the classrooms, you know, go past 10 classrooms. Everybody's in their seat working quietly when we actually know that, you know, that students, you know, require to, you know movement they need engagement, they need to have their hands on they need minds on they need to be solving problems we should be hearing their voices i mean that's a great marker a lot of the ideas at you know in the engagement section um you know a, a, you know principle here and also in the um you know the principle of um of uh um uh, my representation, but uh, well, actually you could talk about it in any one of the principles, I suppose, but um, and I was trying to say action and expression. uh, We should be giving kids all kinds of ways to interact with materials, interact with each other, have leadership in the classroom. And so I always say one of the good markers, you know, of knowing if you're getting there is to sort of start to evaluate how much of the time are you talking versus how much of the time they're talking. Um, In the course of a week, how many different ways were there for students to learn and or show what they know? Um, So some of those kinds of questions can be really helpful. How many times would you say that students, you know, laughed or were joyful? You kind of alluded to that during a week. Those are really good starting places for thinking about, is this a place, is this a productive learning environment? Because those things are not just nice to have. Those things are central to learning itself. And so when you, and especially when you talk about things like getting kids in their seats and the, you know, marbles in the jar, we know that there are so many benefits now to movement. And I wouldn't say that everything that I've written about engagement is movement oriented, but a lot of what I've written and here about engagement and a lot of the ideas of, um, you know, expression are about movement or in some kind of active learning. So for example, Um, Some of the benefits of active learning, you know, we know it's good for, we know it's good for health. We know it's good for creativity, um, especially things like brainstorming. We know it's really helpful for retention. We know it's really good for engagement, staying with the material itself. I mean, it could go on and on. And so this, the data is there. It's amazing, I think, in some ways, how long it's taking an institution um, that, you know, I think really cares about, um, you know, about change and about learning <laughs> um, that it's taking a long time because it's just worse. It's, you know, what schooling is is so entrenched in media or in, you know, in books. Like we see, we still see if you turn on, you know, if you turn on a medical show, they they have an operating room that looks like today's operating room. Otherwise people would think that was ridiculous show. So, it, you know, they show, I think mo you know, many of the more, you know, Common technologies, but when you see a classroom on TV, it looks like the classroom that we grew up in, right? You don't see cooperative learning. You see the teacher at the, you know, sometimes even it drives me crazy. You'll see the teacher on the chalkboard. I say no one has a chalkboard anymore. Exactly. In
1: other words, there's
0: still this. You know what I'm saying? It's like still this very traditional way of thinking about. So it's a very hard, you know, for some reason in our profession, it's even though we know that what's that the classroom should look very different today. Than it, than it did before we had this data. Um, yet, I think a, there's a real pull, even for newer teachers, because of what you said, Tim, I think because of there's like these reward structures or these old values that are in place or because people are panicked about testing, even though the irony of that is, you know, you look, if we know that students learn more when they are, in fact, at the center of this, when they are in dialogue, when they are connected, when they are teaching, then the way to get higher test scores is actually to move away from traditional constellations. So that's sort of the the irony. But, you know, you're 100 percent you're right about the uh, compliance for sure.
1: Yeah. And and also what I find, too, is that teachers are are resistant to change because they feel um, I don't know if offended is the right word, but they they like, well, I've been, you know, some of the older the teachers who have been teaching for a long time, well, I've been doing this for so long this way. Why is it now that I have to change? Um, And then the, and then so that the blame is on the students. So, well, if only they would practice more at home, if only their parents would um, discipline or follow through, if only, so all of these things, these are These are big barriers I think that that um of the of yeah. mindset that well, I don't have to change, it's the students that have to change and so and even in you know when you think about um uh, you know when you're talking about changing behavior and the applied behavior analysis, right when we yeah. create behavior intervention plans, they aren't for the kid. for the teacher, (laughs) you know, this is like, you have to change the environment in order to change someone else's behavior. So you have a certain, you, you have, um, this environment that, that fosters a particular kind of behavior out of, you know, out of whoever, and you actually have to change the environment in order to change the behavior. But a lot of times the mindset is, well, if only they would, um, so that is right. I, th- I think a really big obstacle um it, and so it, it's it's difficult to kind of uh, you know massage that <laughs> that idea so that it's it's not yeah. it's it's not about blame, you know, it's not a bl- about blaming mm-hmm. teachers because they've been doing it wrong all these years. I think it's it's about here is here is what we know works and why wouldn't we want to do what works, you know?
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I think sometimes for some teachers, it may be that, you know, that they're, you know, it's not their style or something. I've, other te- I've had teachers tell me, my gosh, my principal would hit the, you know, would hit the roof if he saw me, you know, doing some of these things that you're showing me. If they were dancing around or if they were in playing some of these collaborative games or if they were engaged in dr- drama. So I don't know if that's actually true or if it's just a perception of the teacher so I think there's a lot of things that we're up against in schools. It may be that some teachers were, were taught in a more traditional way. It could be some that don't feel that they have to support. Whether or not that's true, you know, I mean, but they feel that they don't. Um, in other cases, I feel like maybe they don't. They 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 were not raised in that model, so they're not quite sure actually what it looks like. Um, and so that's another challenge. So in the beginning of the book, in the very front part, I have um, a part about, um, about you know, a dozen of the ideas are for PD. So, diff- so PD for UDL, mm-hmm. professional development. And so I have a lot of ideas in there for that very thing you're talking about, because I feel like a lot of folks are like, I don't even know what this looks like. So I, you know, I'm suggesting things like, you know, go and, you know, talk to other folks and you know, ask to actually, you know, do an observation in your district. Ask, can I a lot of principals, if you say, here's the problem, but I've got a solution, can I go and see another English teacher that's doing something that you would call UDL? A lot of administrators would be very open to that. Um another idea I say is um some people might be aware of the language of pineapple charts, which are kind of this new I, I guess newer to me But I saw it written about um, in a great blog called Cult of Pedagogy. Um, uh, And they talked about having this, uh, I think, pineapple, because pineapple means friendship, I think. But Mm. anyway, there's this chart in the teacher's lounge. And you can find them online. You'll find lots of examples on Pinterest. But you essentially have a a schedule in your teacher's lounge. And then anybody that's doing anything innovative. So it's like Tim is going to do some really cool, um, you know, students are going to be creating – um, you know they're they're going to design their own Rube Goldberg machines, and you know it's I'm going to you know my physics teacher, and here are the principles we're going to be looking at. Oh wow, I'd love to see that. So you just put on there, hey, I'm going to be doing these Rube Goldberg machines um, all Monday, and so that means any if you put it up there, it means anybody can come visit your classroom, any teacher, any administrator. They don't evaluate you. There's no conversation. It's very informal, but you're just learning from somebody else. Or like somebody else that's like, oh, I, I'm going to actually have students use the um, um, 3D printer. Uh, oh, I've never even seen that in use in a classroom. What are you going to do with it? So you can put that up, and so it's this way of learning from others in your building that feels let me be less intimidating. And quite frankly, it's way cheaper than going to a conference if you really don't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I would say, you know, for those that like they are feeling up against it and doing something new, another idea is um, to um and I've written about this before, but having sort of like a UDL fair at your school where everybody brings one thing, just one thing that you're doing. And so maybe like, oh, I've been doing these, or like I've been trying, you know this cool new app um and so i want i can do a quick demonstration of that or hey we're doing a lot of one teach one observe in our classroom and we have a little video clip of that or we've been using choice boards a lot and we did a little you know we can do a little um five minutes on that so that's just another way that if you do feel like whether it's hey old dog new tricks or whether it's i don't feel the support necessarily and i'm not co-teaching or maybe it's just that i don't know what it looks like um look for some you know customized professional development um to um you know to 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 get some feeling of you know get a, get a grasp on it but also to to feel like you know end your isolation um and to be a little bit inspired uh
1: those are fantastic ideas i think that um everyone should get universal design for daily, (laughs) uh, for
2: themselves
1: (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, get those practical strategies. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, um, either talk about or promote, uh, while I've got you, while I've got you recording,
0: (laughs) You know, one thing that, um, you know, not only is a promotion, I guess, but also I think will be helpful to people is, um, well, let me say one more thing about a a PD thing that if I can leave with one thing is, you know, whether you're ending the school year, by the way, I think those those folks that teach till mid-June, for example, or late June, the best time to try something new in the classroom, Tim. I don't know if you agree with me, is at the end of the year. You For know,
1: sure. some "Well, what's
0: the point, right? What's the Why do that?" Because because now it's like you know they've seen a lot of stuff. Everyone's a little bored. Everyone's a little tired. Go ahead and knock it out. Create, a, you know, do a cool panel. Try some neat, you know, improv techniques, you know, to uh, to work on your metaphors or you know, co-teach with your speech path. You haven't done that, before. like this is a great time to just you know just jazz things up a little bit. Um, and with that, what I would say is consider as a as a way to kind of get focused after this, listening to this podcast is sit down either by yourself or with any partner and just set like a couple of UDL goals for yourself. That can help you feel like here's everything out here I want to do. Okay, but let's just boil it down to a couple things. So you might just say, okay, I'm going to buy, you know, my goal next year is to use a new active learning technique every month next year. Or I'm going to co-teach with my reading specialist, you know, by the end of the school year here. Or I'm going to teach um, my classroom paraprofessional about what UDL is so that we're both empowered. By this date, um, I'm going to go to you know I'm going to sign up for this workshop or seminar, read the book, so you can just kind of just start to focus maybe just one goal. And if if folks listening can maybe think about just a couple of things to start their journey, that might be a good way to do it. Um, but I wanted to say for um, for resources the I've been I've been doing some little short videos. I think I've done like six or seven of them, and they're called Off the Page and they're basically i just you know was people were, were writing or calling and they're saying i had one client that i worked with for a long time and they said can you send us a video of that one thing that you said that one time and <laughs> it's like okay and then somebody else asked for that and i'm like you know i'll just put them up for anybody so um i have like a youtube channel now so it's just my name and every um every month i've put one up the last um like six months or something, but um, I probably will end up not doing as me- maybe like every other month. That's probably what I'll end up doing. Um, but all of the ideas are just from any book. So I'll just take you're going to love this kid, or I'll take you know 30 days to the coach out classroom, and I'll just shoot a five minute video, and I take one little idea paragraph from a book, and I just talk about it. And they're free. You just download them from YouTube, and you can use them in a professional development setting. If you're having a brown bag lunch with your paraprofessionals, if you are presenting to your school board, it's just a little morsel about something related to inclusion. So I've done, I think, three from Universal Design Daily. So whether it's that you're interested in or something else, That's just a free resource that I want people to be able to use to, you know, take the energy of inclusion other places. And a couple of the things that, um, you know, maybe even be baffling about UDL, um, check out the videos um, that are on the the YouTube. Uh,
1: Great. Awesome. Um, So they can, uh, the listeners can find you at paulacluth.com, I believe. And then you're on Twitter Twitter. as well. Um, I think at paulacluth
0: yeah, Pinterest, Facebook, and I'm a fledgling Instagram user, so don't oh, go there yet.
1: <laughs> okay, all the things. But I'm
0: trying to work it out. <laughs> all the things, exactly. All
1: right, good, good. Well, thanks for your time, um, and I appreciate uh, you taking time out to to speak with us.
0: Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate. I feel like I'm, you know, I just feel like I'm having a, a coffee with you. So hopefully, that's not too casual because you're just, it's just like. Uh, this is the kind of thing all people should get to do is just have these collegial conversations. So I thank you as well for that opportunity.
1: That is our show. We would like to thank Paula Kluth for coming on the Think Inclusive podcast. Make sure to follow her on Twitter, Facebook, and as well as paulacluth.com. Follow Think Inclusive on the web at thinkinclusive.us, as well as Twitter, Facebook, Google, and Instagram. Today's show was produced by myself, talking into USB headphones, a Zoom H1 handy recorder, MacBook Pro, GarageBand, and a Skype account. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Podomatic.com, the largest community of independent podcasters on the planet. From Marietta, Georgia, please join us again on the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks for your time and attention.